Morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right, good. Hey, uh, I want to let you know, if you haven't heard yet, uh, we have hired a youth pastor at our church uh, for our 6th through 12th grade students. In fact, I'm going to call him up uh, right now. I would love for you to kind of take a minute here and get to know him. His name is uh, Grant Anderson. Uh, there he is. I'm going to ask him some questions so you can get to know him a little bit. So welcome, Grant. Hello. Uh, tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Yeah, about me. Um, I am married. I've got a wife. Her name's Kiana. And I've got two kids, Maisie and Nash. Uh, Maisie's two and a half years old. Nash is just about a year old in two weeks. So it's a little crazy around our house sometimes, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, one kind of cool fact about me and my family is when Kiana and I got married, though we went on our honeymoon, we got back. The day, la- the day after we got back, we drove down to Des Moines, moved ourselves down there to help launch a church called Revision Church. And some of you guys know about Revision Church, but Revision is one of Renovation's church plants. I know it's a little confusing. Revision, we didn't steal the name from you, I promise. <laughs> Um, but I went down to help plant Revision Church, and I spent five-plus years as the worship pastor there, and recently we moved back, um, just all of our families in Minnesota, and so the draw was pretty po- pre- uh, the draw was pretty strong, especially with a couple little kids. And so we're back in Minnesota. I'm super excited to be here at Renovation and loving it so far. Cool. What, uh, what excites you the most about leading a Renovation Youth? There's a lot of things that excite me. I am... Super excited. Just I've had two weeks with, with students, so I'm still getting to know them. That's super exciting, obviously. But um, I think one thing that stands out for me is just kind of uh, establishing the gospel and, and Jesus as something to um, just look up to and, and, and drawing people into that. Like establishing, establishing that as something to long for, something that is full of hope and joy and, and life. And I think a lot of people have kind of just a bad rap of the church, and people have been hurt by the church, and people um, have a view of the church, and, and some of that has to do with not seeing Jesus correctly. And and so I'm excited to just guide and to, and to hopefully um, just preach a message of hope and a message that Jesus has called us into something that is so good, that is so, so good, um, and, and place that perspective on the gospel and place that perspective on Jesus and just draw people into um, that life that they have. I'm just, I'm super excited about a lot of things. That's one thing that stands out. <laughs> cool. So parents, if you have a 6th through 12th grader, uh, our Renovation Youth Ministry, they meet every Wednesday here in this awesome space uh, at 7 o'clock. So bring them uh, this Wednesday. Before you sit down, I'm going to call one other person on stage, uh, and that is uh, Rachel Cheney. Uh, many of you know Rachel if you've been at this church for a while. I know plenty of you are brand new. But uh, if you have, Rachel has done a thousand different roles for our church uh, over the years. But the one thing that she has always done is she has been our youth pastor. Uh, you may or may not know this or have heard things like it before, but the average tenure for a youth pastor in America is 18 months. And Rachel has been our youth pastor for 10 and a half years. Um, and so we are grateful to her. Um, she's not going anywhere, so you don't, don't have a gasp moment or anything like that. Uh, her role is just changing a bit again as she's now going to be leading and managing uh, a lot of our staff. And so we're excited for her uh, in that moment. So we just wanted to bring you up here today to honor you and thank you uh, for shepherding and teaching our students for over a decade. Uh, that is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. So thank you for that. So if we could just honor her, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, if you would allow me, uh, please let me share one more really exciting announcement uh, with you before we kind of get into our Bible teaching for this morning. And that is this. We have never done this before, but we are going to start a brand new house group right now in the middle of the year. Um, There are so many new people here that we're just going to start one right now, uh, which is kind of crazy, but we're going to do it. And we're excited about this. Uh, There are a lot of you that are new within the last couple of weeks, a lot of you that are new within the last... A few months, and we want you to get connected in a house group. Uh, House groups are really the bread and butter of this church. It's one of the most unique things I think about our church, that and maybe the fact that we plant churches, a lot of churches out of our church. House groups are uh, so important to us that 80% of our adults are in a group. In America, I'm a math stats guy. If you haven't figured that out, you'll figure it out quickly. In America, 22% of Christians are in a typical church connected to a group. At Renovation Church, it's 80%. So this is a huge part of what we do. And that's because we believe that church is not a show. It's not a podcast that you consume. It's not an experience that you come to have. Church is believers coming together to worship God and grow in him together. And if you're going to if you're going to do that, you've got to know other people. You know, in the New Testament, there are what we call 54 one another commands. Commands like to the Christians. Commands like love one another, support one another, encourage one another. And you simply can't obey those. The things that God has laid out for you as a Christ follower to do, you can't obey those if the American church continues down this path where church is just something that people walk in and walk out of. And for years, you don't know anyone. And some of you have been doing that for the last couple of years. Just come in and out. You don't know anyone. It's not the church. That's not the church as the Bible describes the church. And many of you are brand new to church. Either way, wherever you're coming from, I want to encourage you to trust God, trust his word, and take a leap into actually getting to know other Christians who can challenge you, encourage you, and support you in your life. So we're going to start a brand new house group in two weeks. Uh, It's going to be led by Corey Borkart from our church, who's a man whose leadership and faith I really respect. I think it would be a blessing for you to be under his leadership in his group. Uh, I highly encourage you to sign up for that new group, Thursday Nights with Corey. If you are just feeling a tug and you want to sign up for a house group, but you just can't do Thursday night, maybe you work Thursday nights, uh, you can sign up for uh, our other groups as, as well. That would be just fine. Uh, you can sign up right now. In fact, if you get out your phone and you go to our app and you go to the Connect tab, you can, I'm not going to be offended if you get out your phone. I'll be excited. Uh, and you can sign up for a house group right now. If you don't want to do it right now, you can do it out in the lobby as well. One last thing. If you're like, what, but what is a house group, David? <laughs> well, let me just say this. You know, pre-COVID, we actually, our house groups are big. So they're 30 to 40 people. So we would get 30, to people together, 30 people together in a house, which that just sounds like weird right now, right? You ever like watch TV nowadays and you're like, you you guys are too close. <laughs> it just sounds crazy, right? But we did. That's what we did. We'd do stuff as a large group. Uh, there'd be a video teaching from whoever was teaching the Bible on that weekend, and then we'd break into small groups at the end of the night for you to apply and study and start to just grow closer together as uh, fellow Christians. Well, uh, right now, things have obviously looked a bit different. Uh, in fact, though, this is an announcement for all of you, so Everybody uh, pay attention to this. We have been uh, meeting on Zoom uh, every week as house groups, but uh, all of our house groups, including our brand new one on Thursday nights with Corey, all of our house groups are going to be switching back to a three-week rotation. So on one week, uh, it'll be all Zooms. You can see all 30 people together on video. Uh, Second week, our women's small groups, so small groups are like the four to seven 
people in a group. Our women's small groups are going to meet in person again. Uh, with It'll be safe and mass and social distancing and all that. And then a week three of the men's groups will meet in person. And then the rotation kind of starts over. So you're going to love it. I'll sign up for Corey Borkhart's Thursday night group. And you'll get a chance to meet other people and grow in your faith. All right? Okay. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Let's jump into uh, the word of God. So, as a church, uh, we have been studying the book of Luke together. Uh, Luke is one of four books in the Bible about the life, death, teachings, uh, etc. of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you want to follow along, I would love for you to follow along. We love the Bible. It is God's word. And so we want to look at it. We want to study it. We don't just throw it up on the screen and then talk about all sorts of other random things. We study the Bible here. So, Grab a Bible. There's a Bible in front of you. If you don't want to touch a Bible, you can use your phone. You just have Bible and weekly verses. Uh, if you have the Bible from under the chairs, we are going to be on page 716 this morning. Okay, today you're going to hear a story about blindness. Uh, not just physical blindness, but the deeper Christian teaching that without Jesus, we are spiritually blind. So I'm going to read through the passage, uh, and then we'll talk through it. And we're just picking up right where we left off last week in Luke chapter 18. So you look for the big 18 and then the small number we're going to start in the verse, which is verse 35. Here's what it says. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him. And told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Okay, now this is a story that's actually found in three places in the Bible. You can find it in Luke, and it's the same story as basically found in Matthew and in Mark. But in Mark, uh, Mark informs us what the blind man's name is, and his name is Bartimaeus. And so that's what I'll call him from uh, here on out. So for Bartimaeus, you think about it, this is 2,000 years ago, right? So there's no optometrist, there's no social system to help him out, there's no welfare system. He's left simply to beg on the side of the road. That's all he can do. And what's kind of interesting is he's begging right now in a prime time and a prime place. So if you heard the message last week, I know many of you, it might be your first week, but if if you heard the message last week, earlier on in Luke, we were talking about contextually what's happening right now is Jesus and his followers are on the way to Jerusalem for Passover, along with basically every other Jew. And so if you're going to Jerusalem and you're coming from the north or if you're coming from the east, is that east for you? I never eat soggy waffles. Like, uh, do you say Wheaties or waffles? Never eat. Well, I'm probably the only one that says waffles, right? That was awkward. Okay, if you're coming from the north or the east, you're going to go through Jericho on the way. It's just with the mountainous area on the way to Jerusalem. So all of these spiritual people that are going to meet with God are passing by on this road. I mean, this guy is probably thinking in his mind, I'm going to hit the jackpot today. This is my day. And it is his day, but God's going to answer his prayers in an entirely different way. So here's a huge crowd going by. Can't see. And so he starts to ask, what's happening? They say, it's Jesus. Well, by now, everybody's heard of Jesus. They know of his 
fame. And so he just starts to shout, Jesus, Jesus. And then he says, son of David. Now, you may go, why is he saying son of David? Now, if you know the Christmas story, and I'm, I'm guessing you do, even if you don't hang out in church a lot, right? You know, Jesus is born, Christmas is a bunch of, and the cows were there that day, you know, the preschool song. No, okay. And it, moo, 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 moo. Anyway, uh, cows are there, the donkeys, all this stuff. Baby Jesus, Mother Mary, Father Joseph, right? And so why is blind Bartimaeus yelling out, Jesus, son of David? I mean, shouldn't he be saying son of Joseph? Well, son of David was a title that the Jews had for the Messiah. They had a whole bunch of them. Remember last week, if, if you were here, we talked about son of man was a title they had. Well, another title that they had for the Messiah was the son of David. Well, that comes from King David in the Old Testament, who was the Jews' most famous king. Um, you can read about him in First and Second Samuel. We did an entire message series once on the book of First Samuel called Monarchy, if you want to look that up. But you can... Study the life of King David, and you'll find that he was often called a man after God's own heart. God just loved working through David. And he told David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Now, that's a prophecy that probably didn't make sense to them, right? So, like, how could one of David's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandsons sit on the throne forever? It doesn't even make sense. Well, Luke, as you read through his book, is going to show you how this title, Son of David, actually makes sense. I mean, it's, e, it's kind of interesting. Even if you go back to Christmas, you know, Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth, which is up north again on the map, and a census happens, so they've got to go to Bethlehem to be registered, and it just happens to be that Jesus is born while they're in Bethlehem. Well, if you read in the Old Testament, you know where David is from, King David? He's from Bethlehem. In fact, Bethlehem is even called the town of David. You read it, that's in Luke chapter 2. You read in Luke chapter 3, one of the things that Luke does is he actually traces back Mary's family tree all the way to, guess who? King David. And so Jesus is the son of, and in Jewish culture, when you say son of, when we say son of, we just mean like a biological son. For them, son means sort of like descendant of. So Jesus is the son of David who will sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And the prophecy is fulfilled a thousand years later. So, now that we come back to our passage, Bartimaeus is calling out not just Jesus, not just rabbi or teacher, he's saying, Jesus, son of David. There's meaning behind that, right? He's not calling out to a wise teacher. Like, you don't call out to someone who gives good TED Talks and ask them to cure your blindness, right? People have this mistake about Jesus. Oh, he's a good teacher. That's not what the Bible is saying. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of He's calling out to the king of kings who will sit on the throne forever, come and heal my blindness. He knows this is his shot. I mean, this passage is intense. I mean, if, we, if, you, if this was like 1997 and we were doing church dramas, right, and we acted this out, it would be an intense scene. Right? So if you, if you close your eyes for like 10 seconds, you imagine you're Bartimaeus. The word's coming, like, Jesus is there. And you start calling out, Jesus, Jesus. And he's not hearing you. This is intense. You know, this is your shot. Like, the guy who can speak planets into existence with his words is passing by. And he's not hearing you. 
And so he just says, it just says he just starts yelling all the louder. <laughs> I love this guy, right? He's chasing after Jesus. Now, the fact that he's blind is really important. Now, this is a true story, but there's always layers of depth in God's word. And blindness is a theme that you see borne out a lot in the New Testament. If you read in 1 Corinthians, for example, Paul says that the people of this age are often blind to spiritual truth. Jesus uses this metaphor a lot in talking to his disciples, particularly when they just don't get it. He'll say, do you have eyes to see but fail to see? I think it's a good way to say it. I mean, we have eyes, but sometimes we're just oblivious to spiritual truth. And we don't even recognize we're blind. But Bartimaeus knows that he's blind. And he calls out, Jesus, have mercy on me. He doesn't say, Jesus, you deserve to heal me. I deserve for you to heal me. Jesus, you can heal me. Heal me. Have mercy on me. He's blind. He can't heal himself. And I, I think that's why the Bible uses this imagery of blindness a lot. Because the story of Christianity is you cannot fix yourself. You can't save yourself any easier than a blind person can make themselves see. That's the teaching of Jesus. Only Jesus can save you. And if you let him in, he will illuminate the darkness. Pastor Alistair Begg uh, says it this way. He says, you will never know Jesus Christ as a reality in your life until you know him as a necessity. You never call out for a savior until you know you have sin from which to be saved. You never call out to ask to see until you're made aware of your blindness. And this is the truth for uh, those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, too. Because I think it's just really easy, as a Christian, to become self-reliant. We get into this stage after you've been walking with him for a few years or a few decades, like, oh, yes, I know Jesus saved me. But really, just how you're living your life, it's dependent on you. But the deep spiritual truth that all of us want to learn so we can become spiritually mature is we can do nothing apart from the hand of God. Okay, so Bartimaeus, he calls out, he keeps calling out repeatedly to Jesus. But here's an interesting question of the passage. Why didn't Jesus hear him the first time? Look at verse 39. It is shocking. It it is to me. Verse 39 says this. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I'll leave that up there for a second because I'm going to show you something. When I study the Bible, especially if I'm preparing to teach, often what I'll do is I will read the passage over and over. I'll read it in different translations. I'll read it seven, eight, nine, ten times. And then what I'll do, you can use this as a Bible study technique if you want. It's kind of weird. Don't look at me funny, but it's helpful to me. Uh, is at least once I will read it, even if I'm just in my office by myself, I will read it out loud. And it is amazing to me what your brain will catch when you just say something out loud compared to when you just read silently in your head. And so I'm studying this passage this week. I'm reading it out loud. I get to verse 39, and I literally gasp. And I went, <gasps> See, I always thought, like, the people who told him to be quiet, because you kind of, you know, you, like, picture the passage in your head when you're reading it. I always pictured the people that were telling him to be quiet were, like, his friends on the side of the road. I gasped with it. Oh, no. It's the people who are walking with Jesus who rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Look at it. It says, those who led the way, they're in the processional with Jesus, rebuked him 
and told him to be quiet. I mean, I guess it really shouldn't be that surprising. If you, I know we've kind of taken a break for a little while in Luke 18, but if you read earlier in Luke 18, same chapter, the people, some of you know the story where the, the people bring their kids to Jesus, and what happens? The people with Jesus rebuke them, say, get your kids out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for your kids, right? And Jesus kind of rebuked them, right? Like, bring those kids. It's the same thing. It's happening again. These people are in the processional, the parade, the group with Jesus, and they're out of front going, I'm walking with Jesus to Jerusalem for the path. They're feeling so good about themselves. You know, we believe the Bible is the word of God and that every word is inspired, and that means that every word has meaning. So even when it says something as small as those who led the way, there's something in there that God is telling us. They're out in front. They're walking in front going, (laughs) they're not following Jesus. They think they're out in front. And they deserve to be out in front. What's the Bible say about those who always put themselves first? The first will be last. Right? Pride, your pride leads to your fall. They're thinking about themselves. And so when somebody else who's in need calls out for Jesus, they rebuke him. Hey, hey, quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for blind beggars. He's with us. And they totally miss the heart of Jesus. And I think so many of us do, even as American Christians. I mean, this has kind of been the death knell of most churches who have stopped reaching people for Christ. They stop seeing the needs of other people. Church, for many people in America, has become about them and their needs and their classes and their children and their programs. And so there's no time to be reaching people who need Christ, reaching the hurting, going out in the community, bringing the gospel. There's no time for that. Did you know that the average, here's another step for you, did you know the average church in America sees only one new believer come to Christ a year? And we can do some interesting math on this because some of you know that there are churches that bring hundreds of people to Christ a year. There are a few megachurches that bring thousands of people to Christ a year. So what that really means is that the average church in America sees zero people come to Christ a year. They meet for 52 weeks a year, and they study the Bible, and they socialize together, and they run their classes and their programs and their kids' programs, and not a single new person meets Jesus, even though the majority of people in America are lost and on their way to perish in hell without Christ. Churches meet every single week. Nobody comes to Christ. But Scripture, the Bible calls churches, the imperative to us is to, it's really, it's, it's twofold, and this is the balance. We have to unashamedly teach the Word of God to believers. So that you come here and you are built up learning the Word of God. And to bring the gospel and go, therefore, and make disciples of people who are lost without Jesus. I mean, it's just very easy to become so focused on ourselves that before you know it, the way we're even structuring our own churches, we're looking at other people and say, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. This is, be quiet. We gotta, we gotta focus on this. And we forget. We forget the message of the, of the gospel, the gospel of Luke. Well, what we entitled this entire series for the entire theme of the book of Luke is lost and found. 
that even we once were lost, and we were found. And found people are supposed to go find more people. And if, if any of us let the focus of our faith start to just drift inward, well, I, I really got to grow myself, I got to focus on myself, and it's only inward. Not that you shouldn't be thinking about your own spiritual maturity, but if it's only inward, the danger is we start to look more like the people in front of the procession who rebuke the blind rather than reach the blind, like Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully, in this passage, Bartimaeus, right, he's bold, and he calls out for Jesus. And that was a decision he made. I mean, he could have kept doing the same thing, right? Uh, certainly. He's living in blindness. It was probably not a great life for him by any means, but he was surviving. I mean, make no mistake, when Jesus passed by, Bartimaeus had a choice to make. Nobody forced him to do anything. He could have just stayed silent and let Jesus pass by. I mean, certainly, don't you think it was a little bit embarrassing for him? Right? People are telling him to be quiet, and he's just calling out, Jesus, I'm sure it was socially embarrassing. But his needs were so great. And this great giver was right there passing by that he makes the choice and he calls out. And my friend, I would say to you that right now, Jesus is passing by. He is here right now, today. And you can call out to him. Some of you know him already, and you're a Christian. You have a relationship with him. But truthfully, if you were to stop and really assess your walk with him, it's going backwards. You're not growing closer to him. You may even be wandering from him. Uh, maybe quickly, maybe ever so slowly. And yet here is this merciful, loving God, full of forgiveness, that is passing by you right now today. Call out to him today. Don't go another day walking backwards from Jesus. Don't go another day slipping deeper into depression or addiction. Call out to the God who heals today. He's passing by. For those of you that are Christ followers, as in a couple of minutes here when we get into our last song, if you just need to call out to him again, call out to him, right? If you even need to drop to your knees, throw up your hands, call out to him. Don't, don't just get back in your car and leave this place if your heart is going, I just want you again, Jesus. Say it to him. And for those of you that are really just hearing this message of who Jesus is from the Bible, maybe for the first time today or in these last couple of weeks, you can call out to him too and be saved, forgiven. The Bible says it this way, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, yet to all who did receive him. So this is for you. So there's anyone who would invite Jesus in. That's what it means. To those who believed in his name. So you don't have to be good enough. That's not the story of the Bible, that you have to be good enough. And then he'll, uh-uh. Just says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Because we're all sinners. And with a holy God, we're all deserving of punishment, of God's wrath. But the story of the New Testament in the Bible is that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that God then will take the punishment that should be on you for your sins 
and put it on his own son, Jesus, so that you could be declared not guilty. And if you receive him, you invite him into your life, you then have the right to be called a child of God. Just by saying, Jesus, I believe in you, I'm inviting you into my life. Not only a child of God that you can have a relationship with Jesus, and not only that, that then he will save you from your sins, so you will spend the rest of eternity not in hell for your sins, but in heaven with God. But that's a decision that you've got to make. Just like, do I want that? Do I want to invite him in? Do I want him to forgive me? And I cannot urge you enough to seize this moment here today as Jesus passes you by. Because, and I know people don't talk about this, but I'm not lying to you. This is like basic biology, right? You will die someday. And when you die, you will meet God face to face for judgment. And if you do not turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you don't say, I believe he died for me while you're on earth. You don't say, I, don't, I believe he died for me. Then your sins are still upon you. And you will be condemned to hell because no one will have paid for your sins. And if God in that moment asks you about this day, in this moment, when you were so clearly offered forgiveness and freedom to become a child of God, why will you tell him that you refused it? When you were told that he loves you so much that he gave his own son for you, what will you say to him? Jesus is passing by right now. He's offering you eternal life. Do not make light of this holy moment. You may not live out the rest of this day. You don't know that. For some of you, this might be the last Sunday that you're ever in church. You could live for another 40 years, but I've been a pastor long enough to see it many, many times where something happens maybe on Thursday this week and it's a tragedy in your life or something really difficult and your heart starts to grow cold and so you don't come to church next week and then the not next week and your heart grows colder and colder. And this was the last time you ever heard Jesus passing you by, offering you forgiveness. If your heart wants Jesus, then call out to him. So in a second, here's what we're going to do. I, I'm going to have the band come back up in just a minute. And for those of you that have never invited Jesus into your life, saying, I, I want you to be the leader of my life. I believe you died for me. I, I'm, I'm going to become your follower. What I want you to do is just as Bartimaeus got up and walked over to Jesus, I want you at any time during our last song, I want you to stand up and walk down to the front right here during the song as a way to say, I'm, I'm coming to Jesus. You can stand right, you don't have to come on stage or anything, but just right here in front of the aisle, here, here, or even on the ends, wherever you are, to say, I need him. I need to be saved or my sins are upon me. Now you might be saying to yourself, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a bit 
intense. Like when I think about Bartimaeus, I think, well, yeah, I mean, the blind man cried out to Jesus because he's in desperate need. He's blind, and this amazing guy is walking by. That's that's actually a rational, smart response because his need is so great. What I would say to you is that your need is even greater than blind Bartimaeus. Because your soul, without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, will spend eternity in hell. And Jesus, in his love, came to rescue you from that. And right now, in this holy moment, he is passing you by. What will you decide? If you want to invite him in at any time during this last song, I invite you to receive his forgiveness for eternity and come to the front. Let me pray. Lord, we just ask that you would move in this room right now. Lord, you know those who are yours, those who you are making yours. I ask, Lord, that you call them to yourself. Just as you commanded blind Bartimaeus to come over to you. Lord, I pray that you move now to beckon and call those whose time it is to receive your love and forgiveness. We just thank you for your grace. It's in your amazing name we pray. Amen.